welcome to Everyone Loved It But Me. My name is Lisa Hedger. I'm a freelance writer, journalist, and editor in Central Ohio. I'm your host. This is a podcast where we talk about a beloved book with a different perspective. Today, I'm super excited because we've got another very popular Everyone Loved It But Me book to discuss. Today's book is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And this is a dark book with difficult themes, and we're going to discuss those, including spoilers. But somehow, my amazing guest managed to keep this episode very fun and lively. I, I think it's, I think you're really going to enjoy it. And as always, be sure to stay tuned for the end of the show where we discuss those Everyone Hated It But Me books. Now, on to the show! I'm so excited to have Todd McAwee on today. Todd is the associate publisher of USAE, which is the newspaper of record for meetings and associations industry. He resides in Hagerstown, Maryland with his wife, Angela, and three kids, Evie, Declan, and Rory. And he just penned his first children's book, Mission Get Daddy Better. Todd, welcome to the show. Lisa, thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure. It's the first podcast I've done for the books. Exciting. <laughs> Can we sell this as like an NFT or something and really profit off of it? <laughs> Absolutely. Who, who knows? So today we're, we're talking, you know, this book, like you and I were saying just offline real quickly, is very different than the book that you have written. Yes. We're going to kind of separate those two a little bit. So this is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And I'll give just a very, very quick synopsis. That's what we're discussing today. It's actually the first of three books. Written by Carl, he went by Stieg Larson, and was published in August 2005. It was actually published a year after he died from a heart attack at age 50. He died in 2004, and we'll talk about that a little more as well. But this book is about disgraced journalist Mikkel Blumfest, who was recently sentenced to jail time for a libel conviction. He's been hired by one of the wealthiest families, it's the Vanger family, to try to figure out the disappearance of Harriet Vanger, who just disappeared when she was a teenager, and that's one of the wealthiest Swedish families. Then in the midst of it, we have our tattooed heroine, Lisbeth Salander. She jumps into the investigation. She's got tenacity and code cracking and hacking skills. She can get into anyone's computer, basically. We start to see the two of them working together. And of course, Todd and I are going to get into some spoilers. We might wait a couple minutes, but super heads up for anybody who might be listening with their kids when they're dropping off a carpool or what have you. This is a very mature conversation. And this book deals with rape and murder and horrible, horrible things. So we can't really talk about it without getting into that it's not so, a pg <laughs> it's not a pg or pg 13 no. conversation no, it, bor no. it borders even on jumping over the r rating too when you read this oh, book 100 percent, yes oh my gosh todd you're completely right i know you're on the show everyone loved it but me but that doesn't mean you hated it and i know you read it i think a while ago and did a refresh so so what did you think initially and as you were re-looking at it again what were kind of some of your your takeaways so lisa i initially read it in 2009 or 2010 okay 
shortly after it came out and was pretty popular. Yeah, I had, I don't remember if I had borrowed it from a friend or if it was one of the first books that I read on my iPad. I, I just, oh, okay. I just remember that I read it. Like, I remember the first okay, book sure. I read on my iPad was Keith Richards' autobiography, and I liked the experience. So I don't remember, like I said, if I borrowed this from a friend or read on my iPad. Who knows? At the time, I had a little personal information. I had actually just gotten out of an engagement. And I was in, a, okay. as you, I don't want to say a dark place, because I'm not really a dark place type of person. I'm kind of happy-go-lucky, maybe to a fault at times. Not to say that I don't have anxieties or whatnot. I wasn't looking for a bubblegum book to read at the time, if you can okay. kind of catch my yeah. drift. I read the book and I enjoyed it, but I didn't think it was this transcendent piece of literature that I had heard from, read in reviews or heard from other friends or whatnot. So I read the first book. I started to read the second one. And then I actually, on one day, maybe over a weekend, watched all three of the Swedish movies. Oh, on subtitled okay. on Netflix. And this may have been so long ago that I may have actually had to have gotten the DVDs. I, <laughs> In the mail. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Yes. I know our younger listeners don't. DVDs are a thing that you stuck into a machine. I read it and I watched the movies. To be honest with you, I haven't really thought about it since. It just, right. it, it didn't connect with me that much. I appreciated Stig or Stig's Larson, however, Stig's writing detail of it but gosh it's dark yeah yeah it's really dark guys yeah and i think this is intentional plots along trots along if you will slowly meanders from time to time because yes. of the darkness and the coldness that it's you know you're not zipping through the amazon rainforest or in some remote island in sweden so when you contacted me so nicely the other last week and gave me the list of books, to be honest with you, some of them I had not heard of. And I saw this, I was like, I'm going to give it another shot. It was either this or The Alchemist, because I've heard a right, lot of the same right. thing about The Alchemist. But when I started reading about The Alchemist, I don't know, it seemed a little bit too spiritual. Spiritual is okay. the wrong word, but too, too touchy-feely maybe for me. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm completely wrong. So I picked this, reread it. It was a little bit of an effort to reread, read some notes about, you know, there's a lot of criticism, some scholarly work. And mm -hmm. I even watched the British American movie with Daniel Craig, with Daniel oh, Craig. Okay. It's a little different from the book. Even some of the characters' names are different, okay. but it basically follows the same pattern and you get the same coldness, snow, you know, the frozen river, right. whatever. And honestly, my thoughts about it were pretty much confirmed from earlier. That yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it. It's good. I appreciate, as I said, I appreciate his writing. There's tons of detail. Mm -hmm. It's obviously very creative, but right. it's not something that I think I'm going to revisit or if the movie's on rewatch right. or I'm interested to hear what this was your first time. I'm interested to hear what you thought. Was I completely agree with you, Todd, that, you know, it is very dark, but I have to say for all the listeners out there, I, I mentioned very briefly in, in Todd's biography that, you know, you're in journalism. So you and I both have this journalism background and, you know, I've been a journalist, uh, financial journalism for many years now. Okay. And I have to tell you, Todd, I just got hung up a lot. Like the journalism stuff was what was annoying me with this book. I could see that. Just if it's been a while since people have read the book, we have the issue with, you know, Mikhail basically writes this 
you know, expose about this financial, what was his name? Werner. It's a longer name. Vertenberg or something. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, you guys. He, you know, does this big expose. Then you're basically led to believe, or I think it's the case, that it was just spoon-fed to him from one person, and it felt like he didn't have many meticulous sources. So that didn't seem very realistic to me. Also was really surprised that he was even sentenced to jail time. So a lot of that kind of stuff. And then we go on with him as a journalist and his ethics as as a character and what we'll get into with what he ultimately decides at the end, which I thought was terrible. He's disgraced and he's trying to piece together this murder mystery that he's not really that interested in. That part I did think was a little interesting, but I, I did feel like it was slow where I'm trying to figure out who is Lizbeth, who is our female heroine, mm-hmm. Mikhail, and the two of them before, I think, a really little version. Mine had almost 600 pages. It's more like a like that romance novel size. For my version, it might have even been 200 pages before they even talk to one another. Yeah, mine's mine's 590, and I think it's like in the chapter yeah. 12, 14, something like that. Yeah. You're halfway through it almost before any right. before they interact. It's interesting. I didn't think about what you said about the journalism. It's interesting what you said that he almost seems like a journalist out of central casting kind of kind of professorial a little bit gruffer Mm -hmm. independent guy starts his own investigative magazine and then yes would this libel trial be that big of a deal like was millennium was millennium like people plus time magazine plus esquire plus all this put together (laughs) like i looked as like you know this guy's like who would you say a journalist everyone knows out maybe like ronan farron if something happens like that i was like not even that would garner this much attention i mean he's not a kardashian come on like never right agree 100 percent, todd and i kept thinking i mean have you even heard of a journalist that was sentenced to to jail time no for libel i mean i can't even i i would have understood it if it had been a financial okay the publication needs to pay x amount to me that would have made sense they need to pay a million or five even that would have been a lot that would have been extreme but five hundred thousand or whatever here to the jail time i just that just kind of lost me wouldn't he have appealed of course like wouldn't that have been like you're leaving the courtroom and you just have the papers already ready and throw it down on the floor like i'll see you guys in a month And weren't you under the impression that he was kind of spoon-fed most of this from a friend? And then later on, he makes it seem like he had done additional work. Right. But I'm not sure. I I don't know. That was real murky to me. And then even as a financial journalist, I have to say, when they started to try to explain it and things, it really did get in the weeds. And I thought, okay, this is just getting to be a little too much. Sure. Oh, one thing I do like to do when we kind of talk about these books, when, you know, you and I know how popular this book was, but I Mm -hmm. always call it the Everyone Loved It But Me statistics. Like we were saying, it was released in 2005 in Sweden and then later, European countries and, of course, the U.S. In the first five years that it was published, just from 2005 to 2010, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo sold more than 30 million copies. In its original language, and we can talk about this, too, because, of course, we're reading a translated um, mm-hmm. version. And I think that sometimes changes things. But in its original language, in 
Sweden. It won the Glass Key Award in 2006 for Best Crime Novel of the Year. It also won 2008 uh, the Bokey Prize. So it's won a, a lot of awards. You've already mentioned there have been movies. There have been sequels. There's The Girl Who Played With Fire and The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest. It's called the Millennium Trilogy, the three books. They've sold, you know, more than 40 million copies worldwide. And again, like we said, the movies and things like that. So it's a pretty, this is definitely a, a popular book, I think. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, one thing that I just had mentioned when I was bringing this up was this notion that Stieg Larsson wrote this book and, and really wrote the first three books in like 2000 to 2003 and mm -hmm. early parts of 2004. And then he died and it was published after hit posthumously. So after his death and Todd, I was looking it up. There is a lot of controversy. Apparently he had been with his partner. They had been together for 30 years. Oh, I but saw they were this. Not yeah. BBC or a Guardian story or something about that. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And there's there's an and I'll include this, you guys, in the links in the show notes. There's a lot of there are many pieces. There are many, many pieces. The LA Times, they said not even Larson could have dreamed up the girl who fought for her inheritance because nice. she was left with nothing. Well, but then that also goes what you know, certainly there's this discussion about the inheritance, which which is its own discussion. But then there's also the notion of, I wonder, like, what had been changed, which, which is her argument, is what kind of changes were made after he died. One of the issues that I had read was, and I don't know if you saw this online, Todd, but he actually had a completely different title for the book. Yeah, I Did saw that. Did you see that? Yeah. Is, was it the men who hate women? Men who hate women. Yes, I, I was. I'm looking at my note. Yes, men who hate women. Yes, one of the most glaring examples because one of the articles I read was basically saying that some of how these books turned out, he may not have actually been happy with. And one was he insisted on use of his title, "Men Who Hate Women," for his first book, refusing to consider alternatives despite his publisher's pleading. It was important to him that the public understand what the books were really all about and I was just kind of curious of your thoughts on that like just this notion that it, the title got changed without his permission I mean from the publisher's standpoint I completely understand why they want to do it like the girl with the dragon tattoo promotes a little bit of danger but it's still I don't want to say it's it's still oh it's the girl with the dragon tattoo so we know who we know who the protagonist is going to be, who we're going to root for in the book. Like a book called Men Who Hate Women. I mean, you're not going to root <laughs> for anybody. Like, right, right. I mean, right. what are we going to do? Just list a long line of terrible people and crimes they committed against women? That's, it sounds like a bad course you would take in college, you know? That right. These are all awful people. From a marketing perspective, I completely understand that. I think mm -hmm. the title the limited amount I've read about him gives you a little bit of insight into at least part of his personality that he seemed like kind of a darker, I don't know if mm -hmm. aloof or just, I don't know if he was attracted to things occult or any of that mm -hmm. serious nature, but I'll put it to you this way. I don't think it would have sold 30 million copies called men who hate women. I just don't. Yeah. And I would be curious to see how that would have 
played out if he had, you know, still been alive. And it sounds like it was succeeding under that title in Sweden, but internationally, that's when they, they changed the title. Does this book, and I realize it's a bit of fiction, does it change your perspective on Sweden at all? That's a really, really good question. Sweden is always a place that I really want to visit. I have not visited Sweden. I think it sounds so lovely and beautiful and just everyone's so delightful. And this book, you guys, like we said, it's dark and every, almost every chapter he includes a statistic, which I would imagine is truthful about rape and and things and women now i'm trying to see if i can find it like the statistics it's sombering right it definitely gives a whole a completely different perspective i mean what did you think i haven't been to sweden either and i'm gonna sound like kind of a rum dum but you think of sweden you think of like oh great blue and yellow flag nordic tradition beautiful people everywhere clean you always hear all scandinavian countries cleanest countries in the world and then you stupidly think of things like, oh, Ikea. How much fun is it to go to Ikea? And <laughs> I had a Volvo, and I love the Volvo. And like, yeah, yeah it's, it's from Larson's perspective, it's this dark, depressing place. You could tell he had no love for any of the social programs, if you want to call them that, like the guardianship or however they phrased mm-hmm. it, just with Lizbeth's yes. experience. And Correct. as you said, there's he takes a shot at Sweden Whenever he's, it's not a veiled hatred or disdain for his country. It's right out there in the open. Right, right. You know, he was, I guess, one of the most noted experts of the neo-Nazi movement in Sweden. Larson was the author and his partner, she joined with him. And I guess that was one of the reasons that they had never married because he feared that his anti-Nazi work was going to put her at risk. So they did not want a legal paper trail. So there's a lot of like interesting aspects of them. And like you said, I mean, Larson actually also was in charge of a small, like kind of like, like the publication here, not the exact same thing, but Mm -hmm. he had his own publication. He founded Expo, an anti-fascist publication in 1995. And there was definitely, I think he saw himself as not exactly McKeel, but you know, there were just some, some little similarities right, that, right, right. that I thought, that I thought were interesting. And uh, there was also Huffington Post. I don't know if you saw that, this, this title, and I'll include this one in the show notes. It's my problem with a girl with a dragon tattoo. It talks about how the trilogy gives his readers a window into sadistic rape. And yet we really don't want to make the association with realities. He writes, that he was saying, was enjoying this. And then he said, then I caught myself. Okay, my wife caught me. This book minimizes the brutal rape, torture, and murder of dozens of women, she said after reading The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. It seems entirely inconsistent that Larson would allow his principled character to conceal all the murders from the police and the families of the victims. So now I just gave the spoiler, you guys, but as a reminder, what happens at the end is Mikhail decides when he realizes, you know, that this one person, you know, had been killing all these women, he he makes this decision to just not publish it, right? And that was one of my issues with 
with it too. I don't know what you thought about that. Yeah, I completely agree with you that he seems more attached to the principles of journalism throughout the book than a lot of the characters with who he engages with, be it Erica, their relationship. I mean, he essentially leaves his daughter for months on end. And, yeah. You know, yeah. To just kind of say, okay, I'm just going to sit on this and yeah. not build up that journalism, that journalistic stardom, essentially, that he had. Mm-hmm. And right. reputation, excuse me, doesn't make sense to me. Now, the only thing I can, the only one of the only reasons I can think is that the family bought into the magazine and he was right. worried they would shut right. them down. I read in a lot of reviews that the magazine was him and Erica's baby, that they don't actually have a, they have a relationship, but that's, you know, no children. That's their actual baby. So that's, that's the only thing that I can think of why he did it, but it is a little problematic. It certainly is. It doesn't jive with his character throughout. Yeah, it, it doesn't. And again, that was, I guess what I, what I had various, issues with but then I was also debating I was trying to decide how I guess if he wrote the book he probably could include it but we'll get I mean we mm, learned I never thought about that for him to write some of that in an actual publication I think would have been hard Todd because he was getting a lot of the information illegally right True. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, we've been down this right before right <laughs> he's getting it illegally from Lizbeth so I think You know, right. He would have had some issues with that, but maybe in a book. I mean, yeah. So a lot of that from a journalistic standpoint, I just, you know, I had just, I guess, suspend my disbelief. Like, it's think like, okay. I thought for a while I was thinking it's kind of surprising that Elizabeth didn't release it. That she just didn't say, I'm going to put all this out here. But if you remember, if you remember, another spoiler alert, folks, in the torture chamber, like she found a photo of a young yes. girl like and she just she got rid of it completely or maybe yes. not got rid of it what however she yes wanted to make sure she it did. didn't see the light of day so maybe she maybe she essentially thought i am protecting these people in this family from more pain than could be caused by bringing this light of day like the the evil characters are dead you know mm-hmm. everyone that knows about this was in this room or dead so mm-hmm you know, right. what good is going to come out of this. Yes. And I was actually rereading that right shortly before you and I got online. And yes, she found photos, but she also dumped the enti- his entire laptop into the river, into a body of water, Yeah, is what I reread because he had listed this, like, uh, this creep, Martin, had kept track on his computer of, like, every single female that he had ever encountered and was, you know, was stating whether they were single or, you know, whatever. Even if he wasn't attacking them, he had records. And so she saw that and, and threw it into a body of water. That that was hard for me just to think about. And, and then also to try to under to try to think about the fact that, like, no other police officer had pieced together these women's death you guys there's like dozens of women were yeah. killed over 15 years now granted they were all a little different in fact this was i think right when lizbeth was this is my page 506 i know these are pages a little different depending how how big your copy is but 
on my page, this is Lisbeth kind of realizing Martin Vanger had been killing women since the 60s. During the past 15 years, one or two victims per year, the killing had been done so discreetly and was so well planned that no one was even aware that a serial killer was at work. Wow. That kind of stuff was, was hard. And it was hard for me to understand, especially Lisbeth, who's a victim herself, right. that she would just throw throw this away this and you said you liked the writing style right i liked a lot of it yes some of it as you said goes a little bit too into the weeds about procedural mm-hmm. stuff or i'm just making this up like it was on this type of film or here whatever some of that's a little unnecessary in my mind but yeah i did not mind his writing style at all i could see with a little tweaks for my own personal taste, how it could be a book that really attracted me. And we'll get to, I'll, you'll see when I talk about some of the other books that I like later, how if it wasn't so dark, it would have really attracted me because there are some very snappy moments and some almost not jump out of your seat, but you know what I mean? That, well, it's it's really, it's awful what's happening there, but it's intriguing. And then what's really intriguing is how people then react to it. Yes. People that people that you think you're kind of getting, like we were just talking about Elizabeth, people that you think you're kind of getting to know mm-hmm. and then react in a totally different manner. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Because basically everybody reacted. The reaction was, now that we know what has happened, now that we know somebody in this super, or two people really, in the super, you know, uber wealthy family were doing horrific things for decades, mm-hmm. covered up covered up covered up right Mm -hmm. like that's what the you know the elder statesman he's the one who had spent decades trying to figure out where harriet was and what did you think of that when we find out harriet is is alive (laughs) just one last thing about the family oh yes and aside from henrik harriet and maybe anita and possibly cecilia the family sucks like there's no one in the family that you like so it's like no and they're not it's not even that they're rude it's that they're Nazis and that they're bad people. They're abusive. Yes. They're rapists. They're negligent. They're drunks. And it's like, who are you protecting yeah. other than this old man who got what he wanted with his grand, it's his grandniece, right? His grandniece back. Yes. She's back in the fold. Anita can kind of come back into the family, but the rest of them that can drive off the bridge for all I care, <laughs> not to be too rude, but it's like, right agree well they said they said the tide wasn't that bad so maybe they just get a it's a polar bear plunge situation and then they're back on oh my gosh i mean yes not a lot of likable characters in this family no and right and i know i was at a point i'm sure you were too you know the first time you read it where i thought okay clearly one of these family members is doing bad things yes like where i was trying to piece together i'm like okay it's gonna be and i was trying to decide which family member it would be and I didn't really care that much because I didn't right. really care about them. When we found out who it was, like, okay, all right, I, I guess I didn't, you know, feel that. And he was one I, of the yeah. he was one of the only ones for the first three quarters of the book that you had any type of sympathy for. Any, at least from right. my perspective, you know, thought, yes. oh, he seems like a solid guy, or I could get along with him. But it's like. Everybody else was. Bye, Dios. See you later. Yes. And I guess that, yeah, that probably should have been my hint, right? Because since he was the only one, like you said, other yeah, than but, maybe but, Cecilia. And- but you think about that, like, oh, it's too obvious it's him. 
you're like, it's just too obvious. Like, you know, it's not who was it, Harold, the Nazi uncle. It's like, you know, it's not him. That's too obvious. It's like, I thought it was Cecilia. That's who I thought it was. Oh, you did? Yes. Okay. I thought it was okay. Cecilia because I thought there was some type of jealousy involved there with the mm-hmm. sisters, cousins, all that type of stuff. And she was right. still stuck on the island as the head mistress or master of the school, which cousin or brother, it's hard to get, it's so incestuous on that island. It's hard to keep everybody <laughs> straight. It is. It <laughs> you is. Know? It um, is. Like what one's running the company and the other one's do, in London doing this and that. So yeah, that's initially, that's what I thought. She's seducing him. She's going to find out more. We'll see what happens there. Right. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. What about Lizbeth? I mean, I guess, did you like her as a character? I did. She was my favorite character in the book. Obviously, she's resilient. She's self-reliant. She's independent. She's incredibly lonely to me, it seems like. And yeah. yeah. But yeah. I don't know how much that really bothers her. I think the abuse she has incurred throughout her life and how she feels, what she feels the perception of women, particularly in Sweden. I wrote down a quote here that she had after her incident. I don't know how blue you want to get the first time with Nils. She said, in her world, this was a natural order of things. As a girl, she was legal prey, especially if she was dressed in a warm black jacket and had pierced eyebrows, tattoo, and zero, tattoos, excuse me, and zero social status. So her fighting that the whole time was the most interesting part of the story to me. Plus, I don't have anybody to base her on. Like we were saying with Mikkel, like we're journalists. Yes. We know, we know right. posers who dress like that. And want to act like yes. that, you know, that parachute in with a scarf around and a tweed jacket or, you know, a bomber jacket. But there's, I never encountered anybody like Lizbeth in life or in um, yeah. any book or movie, really. But she mm. didn't, she didn't seem like a, a caricature of like a goth or like a metalhead or a punk or anything like that. She had her own unique personality. It wasn't like, okay, this guy looked at a picture from CBGB's in the 1970s and said, I'm right. going gonna, gonna to base a character on that, which you know people do all the time for books and right. movies, whatever. Right. So she wasn't a stereotype. Who was your favorite character? Oh, her as well. Yeah, no question about it. And I think she is the reason this book and this series is so popular because she is so unique. And, you know, she's like a, a bad A on one hand. Like yeah. She's just tenacious and smart and... But she's wounded and, and wounded she's struggling. Wounded's a really good way to put it, yeah. Yeah. And, and then there's a lot of discussion online about is she, could she be on the autistic spectrum or was it just the way she was raised? There's a lot of issues. And, and I think even the other books get more into some of her personal issues and, and what happened to her. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's just a... A fascinating character, and you meant, I mean, they show her like you know being raped, I mean, which is very, very another difficult scene. And she's just tenacious, and and she's a really powerful character. And I agree, I don't, I can't really think of anyone else. I was trying to think of like the TV show Alias, Sydney Bristow, but even she's a different person, you know. Yeah, this, yeah. Did you get upset when Lizbeth did bad things? Like, did it bother you? Um, I think what bothered me the most was when, like, she threw away the computer and the evidence. Okay. 
So, what were some of her worst things? I mean, she did this. She basically wrote. Is, are you thinking of the tattoo? The person. I was thinking of like her? the tattoo and stuff. But but then again, that's a character that you have zero sympathy for. I mean, he's the devil incarnate. So it's that didn't bother me. And she seemed just in her actions. And maybe Correct. it's maybe it's vigilante justice, but oh, it definitely was. But then again, when you're reading this book on the sliding scale, it's like what she's doing is taking candy for candy from a baby half the time to compare to what other people are doing and she's doing it in yeah. her to protect herself and they're just doing it because they're masochist or nazi whatever yeah 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 I, th- I think the only time i was yeah that i was probably disappointed was like i said when she threw away that evidence because i'm thinking oh my gosh the the res you know how it would help heal, perhaps, or just help these families t- to know the truth. So that bothered yeah, me. Right. And then I wasn't so sure that I was convinced she was really in love with Mikio. I was going like to ask they, you that at, next. Yeah. At the end, she's like, oh, my, I love him. And I'm like, really? Do you? <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. The, the only thing I thought was she he was the closest thing she had to a kindred spirit, a friend. It's right. weird to say maybe like a father figure or some type of adult right. figure, parent guardian figure in her life, I should say. Well, one thing that bothered me about Mikhail, too, is, I mean, he's quite the Casanova in the book. I was, yes, I was going to bring that up, too. I mean, yes. I mean, it makes sense with yes. Daniel Craig with James Bonds on the film doing it. Right. But I'm, I'm yeah. still thinking to myself, like, okay, this guy's a journalist for a popular publication and it is a cool job and he's got a little bit of glitz and glamour, but I think there's three different women in the book that just throw themselves at him. Yes! Yes! I I literally put down MB Casanova (laughs) question mark. Right, that's great. That's great. I I just thought that was kind of weird. Like, you're right. I mean, they were kind of throwing themselves at him. It's not like... Well, Lizbeth literally did. Like, he was just... And and I know they mentioned in the book about her promise, her being promiscuous or this, that, and the other. And it's, it's no secret about her actions, if you want to call them. But I just, I just didn't buy that at all. I mean, and they're in a place that's colder than hell. It's this dingy old cabin or cottage or whatever. It's like... It's yeah. not some romantic setting that. No, no, and agree. And I just wasn't, sh- it didn't really add to it. And That's a good way to put it. Yeah. It, it didn't add to the story. And I'm kind of like, okay. I could understand, I mean, they were trying to explain to us, like, how that relationship he had with the editor, right? With Erica. Um, I understand that. Yeah. With Erica. Yeah, I understood that. And so I thought, okay. And then I was, then they were trying to explain to me, like, oh, okay, how they have kind of an open relationship. And she's with her husband. But then everyone knows they're going to get together periodically. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, she told her husband, I'm staying at Mikhail's house over the weekend or something like that yeah yeah sweden's a wild place you know apparently it is i mean my goodness i don't know how they produce so many hockey players no one (laughs) would have time to do anything oh my goodness like wow yeah yeah that kind of stuff just again i guess maybe see it just seems a little far-fetched right there were some things in the book that to me were a little superfluous and i think that was one of them that that certainly was one of them to add i guess maybe to add to the 
the atmosphere, the danger, however you want to put it. But it it didn't seem like it was needed. Like it almost would have been better if there was just this sexual tension throughout the first book. Yes. If it was Ross and Rachel, if you will, throughout the book. And you're, you're constantly on the edge of your seat like, oh, gosh, now they're in this cabin together, are they? Or is it going to happen? And then you're looking forward to the next book and the next So Yeah. 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 That all surprised me because there's a J.K. Rowling had written a different series, Cameron Strike, where he's a British investigator. And he kind of there's this kind of will they won't they with, with him and Robin, his assistant. And it's gone on now for several books. But this, I agree. It just, it just seemed, it seemed weird. And then it seemed weird that at the end, Lisbeth got upset when she saw Mikhail with Erica, with, with the editor, with yeah. Erica. Yeah, I always keep forgetting her first name. And I want to, you know what? I did think that that was a weird thing that he did. You notice how there were certain times he would refer to a character by first name and sometimes by last name. Hmm, he I would never noticed. interchange I, that. I never noticed He that. would interchange that because a lot of times Erica wasn't Erica. She was the last name. Burger, or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I did notice on a couple Goodreads reviews because it was kind of messing with me a little bit. I'm like, okay, we're we gonna just call Lizbeth her last. Many of the times she was her last name, and then other times it was first names. So I wondered if there was like a reason for that because it did swap a lot. Yeah, if it was me, th- this is obviously different than journalism. I just would have called her Lizbeth the entire time, yes. you know, and probably Bloomquist, Bloomquist. But yeah, I never noticed that. That's interesting. I'm going to have to go back and check some of that out. It interchanges. And I don't know if it interchanges based on like who is supposed to be, whose thoughts it's supposed to be. Like maybe that's how it was, you know, if I look back. But I just noticed that that it would change, that I would be used to her as like her last name, Salander, if that's how you pronounce it. And then it would be Lizbeth. And yeah, it just kind of went back and forth a, a little bit. I noticed that with Erica, especially. So let's, well, we've gone through a lot of this. Any, anything else? Was there anything else that struck? Let me see on my notes. I thought the attorney, this is stupid, but I thought the attorney, Diedrich Freud, reminded me of Kobayashi yes! from The Usual Suspects, where he comes okay. in with this, with this proposal and he's so secretive and like, you know, instead of Kaiser Sose, it was um, Heinrich. Oh, so I thought the entire tone for the book was set right at the beginning in the prologue with the dried flower. That it's something yes! it's something yes! that could be beautiful, like a family could be beautiful, but it's dead and wilted now. And there's yes! there's no coming back. I have a quote here. What's it say? The annual dried flower I said, Henry looked at the pretty but meaningless flower. It jumped right to more darkness in the book. Like one of the worst thing one of the worst things that could have happened or the thing they're investigating happened at a, on a sunny day at a children's parade. You know, so it's like, you know, this isn't going to be a barrel laughs going in in the first no. 150 pages, whatever like that. I thought that I thought that was interesting. And I noticed it a lot more this time than I did last time. I agree with you as well, Todd. I, I actually really liked that prologue. And I mm, made me too. a little note of. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I kind of liked that flower analogy. Really well written too. I thought that you can see an old man with a glass of scotch in a wood paneled room or whatever, and he gets this package, mm-hmm. and it's you know he's not yeah. yelling rosebud or anything like that. But I think you get the drift of, you know, this is yeah. the scene. This is an emotional time. 
in something yes. that's tortured him for 40 years. Right. Right. And that's how it starts. It yeah. happened every year. was almost ritual. This was his 82nd birthday when, as usual, the flower was delivered. He took off the wrapping paper and then picked up the telephone to call the detective. And I thought that, to me, that was some of the best writing. Like, me too. I really liked me too. That. It was yeah. crisp. It, you, yeah. You, it, Right. It just, you know, took us right there, showed us exactly what was going on. And you're right, that metaphor, I, I, that, do, that does carry with us about this family. It's a tough book. It's mm-hmm. a tough book. But I do wonder if Lizbeth is really such a unique character that that's what caused this, you know. I mean, when I look at online, you guys, this gets the kind of attention as like a Harry Potter. I mean, this is a huge, huge very, very popular series. Well, I remember when it initially came out that people are saying, oh, this is the next Robert Langdon. This is the next Dan Brown type of series. A different subject matter, but you're going to be seeing this for the next 20 years. Even though the guy's dead, someone else is going to pick up on yep. it and they're going to make yes. movies and series. This is a literary titan. The Harry Potter analogy is good. I mean, it was that big of a book at the time. I rem- mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I wonder, I wonder if it was released now, the reception, just simply a different climate, particularly with all the violence towards women in it, Right. how that would go over if people would think a lot of it was superfluous. I keep saying that word. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's a good, it's a good word. People don't use it enough. But I I really wonder how that would go. Yeah, I, I do too. Because like I said, I mean, they're definitely, you know, some, some takeaways that are certainly disturbing and you know, you feel like maybe not the right thing happened, you know, at the end that that we would like to have seen happen. So that, you know, and I didn't read it back then. So I was reading it now with that 2022 lens, right? So if I had read it in 2008 or 2009, I might have had a completely different opinion than I do reading it right now. Do you want to watch the movies? Well, I think there's only one. I think there's only one (laughs) English one, but I know there's three Swedish ones. Did this draw you to want to watch the movies i might pass on that (laughs) did you you said you watched the swedish ones or initially i watched the swedish ones because the english one wasn't out yet and i enjoyed them but my gosh you come out of it and you're just drained it was depressing i mean you do this book and then the other till and you have a glass or two of red wine and it's it's all over started i didn't finish it. i started to rewatch the daniel craig the one they made in 2011. Okay. It, it's a little bit more sanitized than the Swedish okay. version. Okay. But it's not enjoyable to me. It just wasn't. It was. Yes. It's not something that I'm going to revisit probably ever after this. And I appreciate you for revisiting this for me, but I think you're right. Yeah, I, th- I think I, I will pass on, on the movie because it's, it's just difficult, you know? It's difficult to... To read, and I agree with you. I mean, it'll be difficult to watch. So, yeah, this was something else. So, definitely not a not a happy read. I think it, I was able to, you know, keep going because, you know, you want to find out yes. the mystery, right? You want to find out what happened, so that is what forges you forward as a reader, right? Right. Because it's not, and you do have, but yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of funny moments or, or anything it's just a tough <laughs> what about is i'm sorry for interrupting what about at the end when lizbeth goes to zurich i believe the vernonberg gets his comeuppance if you will 
which means he gets mm-hmm. killed. But then she transfers all that money. Did you enjoy that part of it? I did think that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Me too. And, and that, I guess, reminded me a little more when I was thinking of that character, Sydney Bristow from Alias, like where she was in all the disguises. Like she kept putting on different disguises, Liz Like did. a glamorous blonde. And, yeah, yeah. Yes. And so for anyone who ever, Alias was the show where the Jennifer Garner mm-hmm. played this person who would change, you know, she would just completely change what she looked like. Right. So it reminded me of that. You know, and that might be something in the movie that I would have enjoyed seeing, actually, even more so than than reading, because it would be fun to see her. They they describe her as a skinny, you know, anorexic, like, you know, waif. And she completely... From what I remember, that part of the movie was fun. I mean, the guy died, but again, he's a gangster. You don't care. Right. (laughs) There was some color in it. And in the book, there's color in it. And it's... You said it, it's glamorous. She's not beaten down. Yeah. She's in swanky hotel. Yeah. I even yeah. thought, I even thought, it's almost like a coda to the end of the book instead of, because I thought the ending of the book would be Harriet walks back onto the island and mm-hmm. they hug mm-hmm. and, you know, life right. goes on. Right. But that was almost like a coda to the end of the book. And I, I think he did that to set up future books as well, which is smart. Obviously, yeah. great to do. You know, it's right. like at the end of every Marvel movie, you have to wait 20 minutes. Although I haven't seen many Marvel movies, but, you know. Oh. Oh, there's. With my 12-year-old son. Oh, there you see. I'm, I'm not there just yet. I'm not there. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, oh, the credits are over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll put it to you this way. At the end of the first Sonic the Hedgehog movie, it, like, you wait five minutes and there's Dr. Robot. And like, oh, but there's Tails. And so I thought that was kind of the end. I also thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting that he put Harriet Australia in like a wide open, sunny face, totally different than where she was before. You know, he could have put her in New York or Toronto or wherever. You know, I mean, she grew up kind of with a cosmopolitan lifestyle, a rich family, Mm -hmm. and she has completely rejected. And I know it's the man she met, but still, it's like it was a little bit of sunshine at the end of the book, which I thought it needed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that part I really lo- I agree with you. I love where Harriet was and how she was living her life and she had her kids and farm and she was doing so well. I enjoyed that and like you said, I also enjoyed Lizbeth, you know, putting on the costumes and doing this yeah. kind of, you know, fun stuff which was completely different. Maybe maybe if we'd lost, you know, maybe 100 pages of that darkness I right thought, in the middle. I thought the same thing too. Like I don't need yeah. Cut it. Descriptions of every train ride to the North Pole and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. We went down a lot of rabbit holes. I think we could have lessened maybe some of those rabbit holes. Now we get to come to one of my favorite parts of the show where we kind of talk about, uh, we say like everyone hated it but me or what to read instead. What you've, what you enjoy reading, Todd, some other books that you've loved. Okay. As we said earlier, one last thing about the dragon tattoo. You made a really good point earlier, and I was just thinking about this. Mikkel was such a great investigative journalist that he found this woman after 40 years living under a different name in the Australian outback. But he couldn't Mm -hmm. double check his source for arguably the biggest (laughs) story of his career. He's like, this looks (laughs) hot. Like, you know, Joe Schmo at AOL.com said, this guy's dirty. Let's put him. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's a total tangent. But I just, as soon as we talked about that, I came back like, that's a really good point you made. 
Yeah, it tried, that just drove me crazy the whole time. And especially, I mean, Lizbeth was able to collaborate very quickly. Yeah. What a scumball the guy was. You know, so the evidence was there. Right. And, and then the fact that he was, you know, sentenced to time. <laughs> I mean, right. a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. That was just. Anywho. Uh, t- too hard to believe, right? That a little. Just... <laughs> it strains credulity a little bit. Yes. Okay, to what I'm reading. So, as we mentioned earlier, I have seven, almost eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and an eight-month-old. Uh, so, right. the majority right. of my reading now is children's books, and there's actually some really right. fabulous stuff that we're reading. It's, I mean, Dr. Seuss is great, and we do some of that, but there's some really interesting graphic novels and series of books that are out. Adult read, not adult reading. We talked about the dragon tattoo. I don't want to say adult reading. <laughs> Or mature reading. <laughs> right, right. My, um, <laughs> has been limited recently, if you can say sure, the least. Sure. Um, I read, I'm a history nut, so I've read a lot of history books in the past few years. I just started reading Roger Bennett from the Men in Blazers show. His oh, his autobiography, okay. it's called Reborn in the USA. And oh, wow. it's fabulous. Okay. He talks about growing up in Liverpool in the 1980s, you know, in Thatcher, oh, England. Wow. And just the experience of a teen to preteen growing up in that environment and looking to the United States of the 1980s of Ferris Bueller and the Beastie Boys and the Chicago Bears and, you know, all the glitz and the glamour. He calls it the soft power of the U.S. And it's it's been really enjoyable and it's a really fun read. And I love their podcast and I love their TV show. And he writes exactly like he speaks. So that makes a cool experience to read. So that's the thing that I've read most recently. Yeah, and like I said, other than that, it's just been a lot of a lot of children's books. I'm sorry, I don't have more <laughs> to add on this perspective. No, I totally understand that because when my, when I look back at certain points in my life where you know I read more, read less, like when this when this book came out, I had like a little baby, so there was no way. I, I was going to read it right. at that time. Life was just a little crazier. I just think that there's certain points in our life where, you know, we read more or less or read different different kind of things. I'm sorry for interrupting. I also no, go ahead. will say within the past six months, I've read two other autobiographies. I read an autobiography of a man named Gene Kranz. And Gene Kranz was the head of mission control with NASA. And it's called Failure is Not an Option. So do you remember the movie Apollo 13? Is he the one who always wore the vest because of his wife? Yes, yes. And it's he was there from the jump with NASA. So it's a mission-by-mission tale of his experience. It's very interesting. that's good. It gets a little bogged down. I mean, he's a rocket scientist. But honestly, a lot of that you can just skip over. You don't need to know the propulsion or this. Right. All the scientific formula. The Johnson rod broke on the spaceship or whatever. He (laughs) he could have just totally made up all the names and nobody would have called him out on it. No. Um, That was good. And I read Paul McCartney's autobiography. Oh, okay. Which is from 1993 or four. So there's obviously 25 more years after that. All the stuff I think that most people want to know from the Beatles and the Wings, and that that's all in there. It was really interesting. He also gets into the weeds sometimes too much with some of the, for me at least, the London art scene and this random guy he'll devote six pages to. But, I mean, it's his life, and so he's going to write about the experiences he's had. It's not all John and I were writing, you know, yesterday at his house. Yesterday. Right. It's, you know, right. So. Right. So that's what I've read. I haven't 
I can't tell you aside from this, the last fiction book. That's fine. No, no, those are good. Those are good. What about you? Okay. I have read a couple more like Nigerian authors this year. One of my favorite, one that I, I think I've brought this one up on the podcast one other time that really surprised me it almost reminded me of a little like the tv show did you ever watch dexter or hear about that i watched the first few seasons i didn't go to okay yeah okay and i didn't either but i enjoyed it this one's called my sister the serial killer it really gets into more like the relationship between the two sisters so the one sister is a nurse and her sister just keeps killing boyfriends and she has to help her literally clean it up oh wow and it yeah it's a short book but especially some of the nigerian authors that i've been reading recently i really enjoy because they get into those relationship with female strong strong female relationships and i really it just really surprised me and you know, and I'm trying to read, oh, here's one. I was going to say, I, I've been reading some some more middle grade, I guess, with, with my son. Avika and the Divic. That's, if you want it when your kid's just a year or two older, it is not getting a lot of reads. It's a new author, but it really immerses you in the Jewish culture. Oh. And it has, and it's really interesting. And so we listened to it. My kids and I listened to it when we were on a road trip over spring break. And the whole time, my kids were like, you know, what's a divic and, and what's this? I mean, so it's one of those because I did a Jewish podcast and my guest was basically saying, wow, it's it's very difficult for, you know, Jewish kid lit because so much of it is just about the Holocaust. And so she they're oh. trying to promote Jewish joy. And so this book really gets into that's really well thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it this has been a lot of fun and some lots of serious stuff but i'm glad we get to yeah thank you this has been a blast i'm a little wordy and mouthy i apologize for that and (laughs) if we ever get to do this again let's pick a lighter book yes well you know what i say now that you know about the podcast when you read a book that's super popular that you don't love just reach out to me and and don't uh, DNF the book, right? Just force yourself to finish it. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm going to find one that's really popular that we can just kill it. Maybe I, let's get people mad. Maybe like Michelle Obama's book or a Harry Potter book or something like that. I want to thank you all for listening to the show. And I especially want to thank Todd for coming on as my guest. And as I promised, he really managed to bring some levity to this dark book. I'm also super excited because Todd and I also talked a little more about his book, Mission Get Daddy Better. So I'm going to release a Book Bits episode right around Father's Day, and you'll get to hear him talk more about his children's book, which is quite delightful. Now, if you've ever got that Everyone Loved It But Me book that you'd like to see me discuss on the show, please reach out to me on my website, www.everyoneloveditbutme.com. And certainly, I would love a five-star rating if you're listening on Apple iTunes. If you have friends or relatives who love to read, please tell them about my show. And I always include links to the books that we discussed in the show notes. I hope that you have a lovely day. And most importantly, I hope you get time to read today.